Hello, and welcome to the Becoming Lit podcast. I'm your host, Anne Fancy, and I am truly grateful you are here with me today. This podcast is dedicated to having deep and honest, raw and soulful conversations around what it means to be an embodied soul living this messy human existence. We'll dive into storytelling, into asking hard questions, exploring wonders of the universe, and digging into some weird stuff. But the whole point here together is that we look deeply into our own life, into our own truth, into our own soulful alignment, and that we peel away everything that doesn't serve. And we step into exactly who we intend to be, to embody as much light as possible, and to shift and change this world for the better. I'm grateful for your presence here, for all the ways you show up in your life, and of course, for lighting up your own corner of the world. Hey, hey, you're in for a treat today. I absolutely adore David Bedrick. Um, This was my first official conversation with him, though I do stalk him on Facebook um, and read his posts daily. He is an author, a um, therapist, a deep thinker, a gentle spirit, and we walk through really a fascinating conversation on leaning into the intelligence of your body and trusting that what you are hungry for, whether that is food or an insatiable appetite for something else in your life, there is a deeper, more meaningful story underneath what you think you crave, what you feel you crave, and that we as a collective, as women specifically, are learning or will do well to learn to lean in with curiosity to what it is we really need, what we're really craving, and lean in even more so to trusting our bodies, trusting the intelligence of our bodies, that there is something to be uncovered. I'm so grateful for my time with David. I'm grateful for each of you. I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. It might be a bit long, but there are pockets of awesome all throughout it. I hope you just take your time and listen with an open heart and an open mind. As always, if this episode touches your heart and you feel that someone that you know would benefit from listening, please share it. Please take time to rate, subscribe, and send along the podcasts that you love most to others. It helps me grow. It helps us all continue to have these deeper, more thoughtful conversations. All right, let's get to our time with David, and um, I appreciate you. All right. Uh, welcome. Welcome, David Bedrick. I'm so absolutely honored to have you here with me today. Um, full disclosure, we are recording on the evening of November 3rd. So, you know, there may be some, uh, what do I want to say, some residue of what's happening in the world in this conversation, I assume, as well. But I'm really grateful for you to be here. Thank you for joining me. And um, do you want to just give us a little quick elevator pitch bio? Elevator pitch bio. Yeah. Um, let's see. Um, I practiced law for 10 years, uh, family law, and um, graduated number one in my law school class, 
I always had a background interest in psychology, mm-hmm. and that led me to study psychology at University of Minnesota, but do clinical training with an offshoot of the Jung Institute, mm. a place called the Process Work Institute, it used to be called Process-Oriented Psychology. It's kind of a Jungian psychology mm-hmm. with a focus on body and somatic work and world issues, social issues and conflict. Mm. Um, in the uh, last years, I've been living in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Mm. Um, I published a book called Talking Back to Dr. Phil. Mm. was my first book. Um, Dr. Phil was a good straw man. I think I needed a father that I can fight against. Mm-hmm. I'm putting quotes, quote unquote. Yeah. I guess he. I wasn't thinking of it that way, but now I think I couldn't yet and say, this is my viewpoint. I had to say, I don't like this viewpoint. Mm. This is my better one. Interesting. Does that make sense? That was yeah. my own. Not putting it down is a stage of development. And it was good to have Dr. Phil on the other side mm-hmm. <laughs> for me to push against. Um, my second book is called Revisioning Activism. And I really focused on my interest in social justice, mm-hmm. race, and gender, and anti-Semitism. And psychology's role, specifically, um, in those issues and what I wanted psychology to do. Mm. Um, And um, my recent book is You Can't Judge a Body by Its Cover. Mm -hmm. Um, And we'll be talking more about that. I started something uh, four years ago, I think it is, called the Santa Fe Institute for Shame-Based Studies. And Mm. shame has become a central variable for how I understand and think about psychology, but maybe we'll talk more about yeah. about that particular topic. Yeah, I would love just to start because it's so relevant. The second mm-hmm. book you wrote, uh, the revisioning activism. <coughs> activism. Is that, yeah, yes. I mean, when would you, when did you produce? When did that public? When did that come out? So I think it, I want to say 2016. Okay. Yeah. I think it was 2016. Yeah. And what yeah. were what are the takeaways? I mean, we're living in this, as I see it, this really this dismantling, undoing, breaking down kind of um, period of time. I would love to know what your thoughts are. It doesn't have to necessarily be directly from your book, but I mean, it's, it sounds yeah. something that I spend a lot of time thinking about as a yoga teacher and somebody who considers yeah. myself in the spiritual world. Like, how does activism fit yeah. with that? psychology certainly is relevant mm-hmm. to yeah it's such a big thing at the moment in the election moment especially mm-hmm. because as a person who's progressive and um, interested in social justice I have so much fire about the pain being caused to anybody who's not identified with the mainstream anybody who's marginalized whether that's mm-hmm. gender or sexual orientation or race or religion body ability, all those things. So when you ask the question, the first thing that happens to me is a heat comes up in me and I could hardly think. I can't think. But I could part of me can't think. It just wants to I just see red or go crazy or and just is such a big experience. It's especially on the election night, it's hard to hold just the feeling of it. Um but the vision I was trying to activate in people by writing that book is a vision of relationship, especially relationship across lines of diversity. Mm -hmm. So 
I'm all for marching and petitioning and voting. Uh-huh. Yes to that. So, so I'm not a either or. Yes to those things. But a part of me I was noticing has more hope in conversations like this with you. Mm-hmm. I know that's only one-on-one, but I'll have a conversation with someone else and you will. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's conversations with many people. Mm-hmm. On Facebook, sometimes I have conversations with three, 400 people. Right. And I've had conversations in different places in the world. I was in Poland with 500 and plus people from 20-something different countries. For seven days, we have conversations. So I believe in those conversations because we have to have a relationship. Mm-hmm. You are a person. You're representing something in a moment. I'm a Jewish male, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So in any moment, that may be important. That may not be important. Yeah. So they represent things. But the conversation across those lines so that we educate. Um, so that's one thing. And the second thing, if I were to say one other takeaway that relates to the current book Activism can happen internally. We all know that, right? I can work on anti-Semitism outside by challenging you. Or you're not saying anything. I could challenge you and say, this is how you're thinking of me. Let me tell you what it's like from a Jewish perspective. Well, you can say something to me. Mm-hmm. David, when you say that, let me tell you about what it's like as a woman hearing you. Mm-hmm. So it could happen in relationships. It could happen in the bigger world. I could say something, Me Too movement, blah, 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 should be, men should be included. And we could have a, not just a relationship discussion, a discussion about the world and how social justice should be. Mm-hmm. But then there could be an inner dynamic. What's it like in your inner world as a woman, as a woman who has a body that has internalized various things? Because yeah. some people's activism is very much internal. And not everybody puts those things together. Mm-hmm. For instance, I've worked with women who are consider themselves very strong activists around gender in the world. Mm-hmm. But then would come to me and say things like, I'm not outing anybody in particular. These are things I've seen over time with many different situations. But a woman could come to me and say, how come I'm still angry? Mm-hmm. I'm accentuating something still that implies, how come I should not over this? Yeah. And then I'll say, can you tell me about what you mean by anger? Mm-hmm. And they'll say, what do you mean? I say, make an angry sound, draw an angry picture, say something angry to me, make a motion, show me a fist, do an angry dance. Mm-hmm. I'll say, I've never done anything like that. Mm-hmm. And I'll think, that's Sophia, you're smiling. I'm thinking, you're against something called anger, and you don't even know exactly what it's like, yeah. this thing you want to get rid of. Yeah. Now, would internalized sexism have something to do to make it more likely that you as a woman, that me as a Jew, would think I shouldn't ask for money or whatever it is? Would those things happen internally? Yeah, they really do. Mm-hmm. So lending those things so people are more aware of that can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. You're nodding and smiling. You must know. You must. No, I'm thinking thought, like yeah. that. Yeah, that. Um, well, I'm thinking about the relevance of what's happening in the Black Lives Matter movement, and that women—not women, white people—are being asked to look inward at their um, their biases, their um, the white supremacy, and the the programming that we, as a collective, haven't even realized necessarily was in us. Um, I think is part of the problem and all the pushback around that that people don't really want to look into what you're talking about. And then 
you know, these conversations mm. with, with so many about how to show up in the world when we feel like the world is, is falling apart. Um, and feel called to do something. And that sometimes the doing is exactly what you're saying. It's looking at your own truth and bias and, um, anger. I mean, mm-hmm. I definitely will get to that probably a little in a little bit, but, um, I yes. can't remember which person I was reading about today in your, in your book. Um, yes. but that, you know, I remember from my own experience when I was working on my anxiety and depression in my late teens and early twenties mm-hmm. and the doctor mm-hmm. told me I was angry or that I had anger or the depression was anger turned inward. And I thought, I'm not angry. I don't have anger. Mm-hmm. I've never been angry hardly at all in my whole life, you know? So right. it's so fascinating what you're saying about activism, because I think this is, this is really pointing to so much of what the shift that's happening and why people are so uncomfortable is that activism is inward at really uncomfortable mm-hmm. things instead of looking <laughs> outward to blame the world for what's wrong. Yeah. And how do we do it? There's not a lot of technique or skill or knowledge. If somebody, if I ask the average white person, let's I'd say I'm that person. I am also that person. Mm-hmm. What's it like to be white? Now, my mouth would open up if, uh, a part of me and I would open up and I go, um, um, uh, like yeah. now if I ask you what's it like to be a Jew, I can tell you. The marginalized person is more like, what's it like being a woman? Oh, I can tell you this happens and this happens. This is how I'm treated. This is who gives me the check. This is how I'm dissed in different situations. This is how I become voiceless. This is You can tell me all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But, if, but if you say, what's it like for me to be a male? Mm-hmm. Not what are my ideas about manhood. That's a different discussion. What's it like being a male? Then I'd be like, um, I don't know. I don't think about it. Aha. That's one of the things about what it's like to be a male. Right. I don't think about it. Right. right? You are more likely to have to think about it. The yeah. African American is more likely to have to think. Of it. The Muslim is more likely to have to think mm-hmm. about what it's like being a Muslim. Mm-hmm. The Protestant, whatever white person, I don't think about that. That alone is a huge piece of information. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go all that far. Wow. I don't know what that means to me. Mm-hmm. I know what it means to be confronted by someone. I know the words they've taught me. I have privileges and stuff. That's important. Mm-hmm. But what's my experience? The psychological question is, what's it like for me? What's the experience I'm having? I'm out of touch with that experience mm-hmm. for the most part. Now, I, I could get more aware of that. Sure. It's but that would take some... Yeah. yeah. No, it's interesting because um, I've been thinking a lot about what happens, um, you know, spirituality is something I'm fascinated with. I teach yoga. I've just been also, you know, somebody who's read and sought and, you know, all of these things for so long. And I've been thinking about what yoga, if I take yoga out of the context of its, um, origin, not to, not to, um, not for culture appropriation, not like, cause that's a whole nother conversation, but really take it out of, um, sort of the patriarch and misogyny and just think about what yoga has done for me, what it taught me to do. Oh my gosh. I have a really obnoxious cat today. Um, what it taught (laughs) me to do is to embody more fully, right? So anxiety, Uh depression, all of these experiences in my Mm -hmm. life, being a sensitive person taught me to disembody. Mm -hmm. And I think what I'm hearing you say to some degree is and what I, I wrote down while reading your book, too, is this, yeah. this notion of embodiment. And we are so disconnected culturally mm-hmm. for probably a thousand reasons. 
and that to look inward uh, requires me to get energetically in my body and step outside of judgment and hating it and hating myself and hating, you know, yeah, huge. What you're saying is huge. I'm thinking of, I can't tell you how many people I've worked with. I'm going to focus on women, but it wouldn't have to be only. Yeah. You don't have to focus on women, whatever feels right. But if a person, so we develop a relationship with our body and that relationship is impacted by how others have had a relationship with our body. Mm -hmm. So if our body boundary is violated in what looks like more subtle ways or more violent, egregious ways, sexual Mm -hmm. abuse, Mm -hmm. for instance, then our relationship with our body is affected by that experience. I've been studying this lately. So now if somebody's hurt me, especially if I was young and forming my relationship with myself, Mm -hmm. which means and my body, if someone hurt me or looked at me in a certain way, Ooh, look at you. You're so whatever. You're a fat. You're this. Get yourself together. You, want, you should go to Weight Watchers, let's say, or whatever, mm-hmm. or has hurt me in some way and didn't care that my body was hurt. That would be a second thing. One could be an opinion about me, a judgment. Mm-hmm. The other is somebody could hurt me and not show care. Oh, my gosh, I hurt you. Mm-hmm. Or somebody else could say, David, did that person hurt you? In the second example, if I get hurt and no one says, did anybody hurt you? I'm developing a relationship with hurt. The relationship is, it doesn't seem to matter much to anybody. Mm-hmm. Now I have a relationship with my body that says, the pain I'm in is irrelevant. What does that mean? Well, that means I may not take aspirin when I get headaches. I've had to learn that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I get headaches. My partner would say, why don't you take an aspirin? Oh, right. Mm-hmm. It's not just because I don't want medicine. I don't think about that. Mm-hmm. But then think about the danger. I can walk out into the world. If something is in danger, my body doesn't say, Getting my body hurt matters. Or can be in a relationship, getting my body hurt doesn't, doesn't matter. Or if there's judgment coming in, I'm seeing my, eye, my body partly through the lens of, because I internalize that, a judgment. So I'm not able to look at my body cleanly, lovingly, purely. I'm looking at my body through a set of eyes mm-hmm. that are looking, look at that, look at this. You're getting older, David. I'm 65 years old. Your belly is getting bigger. Mm-hmm. You know, you're getting these wrinkles. I'm getting... A set of eyes that are looking at me. So now that's my, that's not just a criticalness. That's my relationship with my body. Mm -hmm. It's a whole relationship. So if you start asking me to be embodied, I have to go right into that place. Yeah. It feels like I could say, if I were honest, this is going to be an awful experience Mm -hmm. in a way. And it could be an inner abuse scene, mirroring an early abuse. Entering my body can be a saying, could you please walk into an abuse scene? You're not trying to do that. I understand. Yeah. But it, for, some, for some people, That's it could it exactly like. be that. Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like. That's In really, that case, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. No, that's just uh, really, yeah. really interesting. I've been thinking a lot about um, uh, trauma and, and, and even, so talking about trauma mm. for sure um, is a huge piece that I'm sure you could speak to and will speak to because it's all over your book. And, but also mm. thinking about, um, I've, from mm-hmm. a spiritual perspective, which I think you relate to, to some degree, as far as I can read into it so far and read your posts mm-hmm. in your life, um, that there's sort of this, like from a soulful perspective, human life on earth. Um, if you think of this pure baby coming in with this pure loving soul energy, let's say that we can come in with that mm-hmm. mentality and just how, um, unintentionally, traumatizing the world is, you know, I just think, right. And so 
So mm-hmm. I think a lot of people think, at least in my experience so far in talking to people, like, well, I don't have that kind of trauma. Like, I'm grateful to not have a distinct moments of overwhelming mm-hmm. trauma or abuse, but I still feel like I carry that residual trauma from just the world feeling so out of order, so disharmonious, so not yes. loving for the disconnects about what grown ups said and what they seem to be mm-hmm. energetically putting off. Like, and just, Indeed. yeah, but like, so all of that trauma, whether acute or sort of expansive, um, mm-hmm. I think that we all carry that. And it's really fascinating what you're saying that like the act of asking somebody to learn how mm-hmm. to embody is unintentionally triggering them. That's really interesting. So what do we do to help mm-hmm. people on a, at a collective and individual? I mean, obviously therapy and the mm-hmm. things that you do are vital, but yeah. that's such a global problem. Mm-hmm. Not everyone's going to have the privilege of working with somebody like you, you know? Yes. Yeah. And I love the question. The question needs so many answers. It means mm-hmm yoga teachers and dance teachers and body workers and circles of people who are together and people who can put their hands on another person in a loving way so they know you know, know what it's like to be touched. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives me chills to say that because it's so, certain things are so fundamental. Mm-hmm. Can you put your hand, simple things, can you put your hand on your own arm in a way that feels safe? Now, maybe many people can do that. Can you imagine, I could say, if I, if I were in front of a thousand people, mm-hmm. I could say, could you imagine, here I am, here's my hand. It's now six feet away from you. I have my hand up if people can't see it. I'm moving it towards you at a few inches at a time. Can you please see what your body is doing as it moves towards you? Mm-hmm. You're already having reactions. I can see it in mm-hmm. your face. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, let's stop right there. I'm close enough. Yeah, that's body integrity. Mm-hmm. Well, aren't I just screwed up? Shouldn't I be more open? No, your body is talking. It's saying I'm a little bit uncomfortable with this exercise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bet you. I bet you most of the people would have that experience. Wow, we're so used to that violation. So there's we're so used to the violation of this body is an open vessel available to whatever, whether it's a doctor mm-hmm. touching us, yeah. or whether it's a friend, or whether it's being. But that's a simple thing. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing the other things that come to my mind, whenever I work with a group and I say, I want to do an exercise, I'm going to ask you about your body reactions. I always say, and please check to see if it's safe to go into your body. Mm. And don't think it's bad to... Don't think it's bad. I should. I got to get into my body to heal. It's not good if I can't get into that. Mm-hmm. Those won't help. Mm-hmm. I understand why the ideas come up. They don't help. They just breed more shame. Saying no, it's not right to be in my body is a wonderful, empowered act. Mm-hmm. So pulling the shame away so people don't feel like I should be somewhere. I should get into my body. I should be open. It's fine if you hug me. It's fine if you touch me. Why should I be uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. Pulling off that shame, shame being a lens that looks at you, that looks at a person and says, something's wrong with you for having the responses you're having. Mm-hmm. Go fix yourself, work on yourself, correct yourself, heal yourself so that you can be open to whatever it is. Yeah. 
people being more friendly in some way, mm-hmm. that whole idea. It's because something's off about you. And that's why you're like this. That idea seeps into the psyche, disrupts the relationship with the body, turns the body's healthy, normal reactions into pathologies to be fixed and cured rather than a body that's showing its intelligence mm-hmm. constantly. Does that make sense? I don't know. I'm, yeah, am no, I being it, too obtuse? No, okay. I, I like obtuse. Okay. Um, no, it makes it makes sense. It's just mm-hmm. making me go into deep thought about that. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Speaking from my experience in, in yoga and my, I mean, it took me a decade to realize that one of the main benefits of yoga for me was that it was a very slow indoctrination mm-hmm. of learning how to be present with my discomfort, with my feelings, with my boundaries. Mm. And so mm. it wasn't like get in your body. It was like, here's this mat. That's like this safe space for you to explore and be curious. Oh, now I'm getting chills. And, um, mm. and like go at your own pace and learn your own boundary and edge and learn how to like lean in and, and trust that you have a sense of that. Um, and I could see that that certainly wouldn't be safe for everyone, right? But I'm I'm trying right. to think why that helped me so much. I'm trying to like, you know, peel back yeah. and look at what was powerful about that to me because yeah. after the privilege to me of embodiment, the next step is what a lot of what you worked with too. And maybe it doesn't require embodiment as fully as I imagine it, um, yeah. but it's to stand in your power and to stand in your truth and to like these beautiful women's yeah. stories of them, um, beginning to yes. own what they need and who they are mm. and how they want to show up. And, you know, mm. I, I'm, I'm just fascinated to think, to think about perhaps, you know, full or even partial embodiment is not uh, realistic mm-hmm. or necessary for lots of people in this human in our yeah. incarnation, this go around, right? That's a deep thing you're saying. It's a relationship. It's like a, it's like any other relationship with a body. It's not like any other, but I'm going to say it this way. Yeah. It's like a relationship with anybody else. This is the distance. That's a good relationship for me to have with my body. Mm-hmm. This is me getting closer. This is me getting further away. This is me being more intimate. Mm-hmm. This is me being less intimate with myself <laughs> over time. And then, and then we could think psychologically, the traumas and things and what does it take? Mm-hmm. I had a woman come to see me. These are all stories I can tell by the way give me have permission or I'm altered things enough to know that they're, they're safe. Um, and the, all the people in the book, the 17 women all have given me literal, you know, literal legal consent and things. So, um, just so people know, I'm not just outing people. Sure. Um, but I had a woman come to see me. It was probably it was close to 20 years ago. And she came to see me with, she was married to a man and she said, and they said the problem was they were having is that she was not comfortable with him touching her in any way, even putting his arm around her. No, never mind what would might be considered more sexual mm-hmm. touch. And he said, this is a big problem. And she said, I'm here because he has that problem. Listen to it already. Mm-hmm. I'm here because he's having a problem. Mm-hmm. She doesn't say, I'm here because I wish we could be more right. in contact. Right. Right. He sat looking at the door of my office, and I said, 10 minutes in, I see you're looking at the door. She said, yes. I said, do you, would you want to leave? She said, can I? I said, yes. She got up and left. 
<laughs> so he was very upset with me because <laughs> I said it was okay to leave. Yeah. And but that's such a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Her body says, I don't want to be here. This isn't safe. Yeah. Now, in some world, we could think, but how's she gonna work on her issues? Mm-hmm. Shouldn't she be there? Shouldn't she work on the relationship? All those in this case, should you could say, I call that a kind of a shame. If she said, it's really hard for me to be here, but I want to work on this, that's different. But if she says, get me out of here, her system needs to learn to follow that. Anyway, he was rather upset. She called me sometime later and said, can I come to you without him? Mm-hmm. I said, sure. And um, we talked about the fact that she didn't want to be contact. She didn't want to shake my hand. She didn't want to have any physical contact. And um, I, I was just starting out, and I had a supervisor who was helping me. And I said, what do I do, dear supervisor? Not the person who was educating me and saying, yeah. I go to with cases that I was on. How do I help her? She's probably having some abuse. Maybe there was abuse in her background. A lot of things she's indicating that she was hurt sexually. How do I help her with all this stuff? My supervisor said, what makes you think you should help her with that? I said, what do you mean? How can I help her have a sexual life and a healthy sexual life? And he said, what makes you think sexual life is something that's right for her, ever? Now, that's deep because we might think it would be good. But he's saying, you have to think about it this way. He's saying, Don't, if you have an agenda for her, that you're, I'm going to say it in a gross way. I wasn't a gross human being. Yeah. That you're laying on her, so yes. to speak, right? That you're yeah. bringing to the thing. That may not be right for her. You have to have an attitude, David, that says it's okay for you never to be touched by anyone ever if that's what you want, period. We have to start there, not start with wouldn't it be better if you could. Right. Otherwise, we're putting this idea you should get somewhere. Mm-hmm. And the body doesn't like we're going to work with you so that you can get somewhere that you don't want to go. Right. The body likes you could go where you want to go and you can tell me I'm going to respect you. Mm-hmm. But she said, well. If I don't have a half that step to somebody, I probably would divorce this guy. I'd say, maybe you want to do that. She said, I do. I said, I'll help you with that. Now, yeah. some people wouldn't like that I did that. And it's, I'm saying it too quickly. But that's where she's going. That's where mm-hmm. she's heading. It's mm-hmm. not against him. Because mm-hmm. he, when he was there and after she left, he said, what should I do? I said, your partner wants to leave. Yeah. I said, how do you know? Because that's what she did as soon as she was free. That's what she wants to do. Now, will she come back? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but you can decide that anyway. The freedom for the body to say, this is what's right for me, and not to pathologize it, meaning something's wrong with you for having that. That's because of you have some issue you should get over. It's very tricky to do those things unless a person says, I want to work on those things, not because something's wrong with me and I think I'm a bad human being who's screwed up, but because something wants to flower in me. I'm fantasizing a closeness with somebody. I can almost taste it, but I'm not allowed to get there. I'm not free. Then I say, let me help you. Sure. But if the first step of your freedom is to say, I don't want to be near you, Mm -hmm. that's the first step. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's. I think boundaries is such a huge... Um, thing and asking for what you need. I mean, that's a lot of what your book goes to too, is like the culture of women that we aren't um, given that permission to say, I don't want to be here. I mean, schools indoctrinate us in that all men and women um, to not trust ourselves, not trust our bodies to not know when we're, or not allowed to listen to when we're hungry or when we have to go to the bathroom. And these things start, this programming starts Mm -hmm. so early um, and then layer on all of the generational 
trauma and everything else. It's a wonder, you know, any of us get anywhere in this life. Um, How did you end up working specifically with women? It's such an interesting role as like a a gentle, loving man, but to be, because clearly that's your your demeanor here, but to end up studying women and bodies and shame, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, as any woman can speak to is a huge part of being alive in the world. I I love this question because the reason I love it, Anne, is because I've thought about this question so many different times and I come up with myself different answers, not mm-hmm. come up with to say, but like like sometimes I ask myself the question and I say, honestly, I don't really know how that happened, you know? Yeah. <laughs> because it's not like like and that's a real answer, but it's not mm-hmm. the, it's not all the story, but sometimes life is a mystery for me. Like how did that happen? How did that move forward? Mm-hmm. why me I sometimes say because mm-hmm. it's not the thing I would have thought I would have written a book on and spent 15 years researching and tried to put away I had all this research done 15 years ago almost all of it and I wrote some chapters in books and I wrote some blog posts for psychology today and mm-hmm. all kinds of things and I tried to put it away and I couldn't it kept on coming back as if as if the book that wasn't yet born was saying, you have to write this, you yes. know? And I was like, no, I don't want to, I don't, I don't need to see it. I don't, why would I have mm-hmm. to write that? You have mm-hmm. to write this. And it kept on coming back. But it started when I was teaching critical thinking at university of Phoenix. It's about 18 years ago now. And at the end of the critical thinking class, I would ask my students, you have to write a paper and you can write about anything you want. You can write about your nose. You can write about, Iraq, you can write about O.J. Simpson. It was, that was a bigger round that yeah. time. You can yeah. write about whatever the topic, but you have to use these tools to look more deeply into how you think about it. And a number of women wrote about weight loss and why it was happening and why it wasn't happening and wanted to think about that differently. And because that was so regular, I taught three or four classes a year for eight years and taught other, many other classes, but that was one of the classes I liked teaching. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking, wow, there's so many women writing about this. What's going on? So I said to a few women, can I do an interview with you and ask you questions about your relationship, body, weight loss, body shame? And they said, sure. And I got so intrigued and so upset about the viewpoint, the internalized viewpoint. I thought I should study this a little bit more. So I put up a sign-up sheet in a class and said, anybody want to be part of my study. I didn't make it gender specific. Mm -hmm. And 21 people signed up, only women. Mm -hmm. Now, today, if I would have written up that piece of paper, and I wanted men, I would have written it up differently. I wasn't aware of how I would have to speak to a man to get them interested in that. I just said, anybody interested in body shame, weight loss, wrestling with those issues? It's, it sounds neutral, and it is, but it wasn't sensitive to what the male psyche would code. But nonetheless, it's still informative Yeah. because we know 80% of 10-year-old girls are dieting to lose weight regardless of body image. 97% of women have violent thoughts about their bodies every single day, et cetera. Seven mm-hmm. of, of the eight people have eating disorders of women. So it's not just, just lucky, you know. It's, right. It's not just I didn't speak to men properly, although I think I might have done that differently. But anyway, then these 21 women signed up, and I thought, okay, I'm going to do a series of interviews with those 21 women. And later on, I thought, should I do something to include men? 
and I thought it's I it's a no for now, yeah. but I will make sure I have more diversity. I'll make sure I invite a Hispanic woman and a woman of color, so I have some filled that particular particular part out. Mm-hmm. But I've always been interested in social justice and learning about other people. I've always been interested in race and gender and anti-Semitism. So that must have dovetailed, although I wasn't thinking of it that way intentionally at that point. I think I'll study women. Wasn't It sort of happened to me, if you can say it that way. Yeah. I don't want to be, I'm just a victim to that, but, <laughs> no. but it sort I mean, of happened to me. Yeah. yeah. Sort of divine path unfolds, I think, to some degree sometimes. I don't think it's all divine, but I think that yeah. certainly makes sense. And, you know, uh, also I think 18 years ago compared to now, I think men might be more willing to be in that conversation than they would have even been almost two decades ago. Yeah. The world's changed yeah. in that way, that, that men are feeling slightly like they can have more of a voice on these yeah. things and that they're suffering in their own way too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting from my perspective yeah. because I've been deliberate in my podcast to <laughs> not have... I've had people from, you know, fitness and wanting to talk weight loss and and things of that nature wanting to come on the show. And I've been super deliberate to not have them on. And your book felt very different to me in that way because it's my it's very in line with my both my perspective and my experience on body image, disordered eating and um, all of the journey that I've spent much of my young adulthood and young yeah. in my childhood going through as well. And so um, it's, a, it's just interesting. I didn't even, it didn't even occur to me because I followed you on social media and, um, <laughs> you know, I met you through a friend and that I, even in the title, I didn't really realize exactly what we'd be talking about. Um, so anyway, <laughs> I, I've, I've struggled internally with how much airtime do we give to body image and women Mm-hmm. when it's done so much harm. But your book does yeah. not do any of those things. Mm-hmm. It is not feeding, it's Thank the opposite. You. It's like calling light to the shared mm-hmm. and collective story of women mm-hmm. and the oppression mm-hmm. that's come um, mm-hmm. cloaked in, you know, mm-hmm. the oppression that's come cloaked in weight mm-hmm. and body image, I guess, and diet. Oh, I'm so glad it felt that way. Yeah. And the... I'm just going to say the good part, the good part of me being a man doing this, maybe there are many good parts and maybe there aren't. Uh, let me say this, the first caveat. I had a woman say to me, as a woman, I'm not, I'm disinclined to look at you as an authority about this issue. Mm-hmm. And many women may feel that way. Mm-hmm. And I think, yes, I say yes to that. Just like I would say to the woman, you, don't have, you can walk out the door. I'm not just saying that as a smart thing to say. Mm-hmm. The impulse that your own body feels, your own safety, your own trust, your own distrust, that's the point of the book. That's a central part of it. So if you think, I don't think I want to trust you in this area, way before I would say, let me give you reasons why you should, I would say, please trust yourself. You could say, I have so much to trust. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't even want to look at your book. I'd say, follow that. Mm-hmm. That's the best medicine you can take. I distrust you enough, but I feel open enough to challenge you and criticize you and see what you do with that. That's a great start. Mm-hmm. I think whatever, or I just, or I trust whatever. There's some, or I'm going to look at a book and a video, whatever those ranges are. But it's very important that distrust 
mustn't be distrusted. Otherwise, the fundamental relationship with we're starting a fundamental relationship with the, with the education that the book offers in a way that I'm going against your essential intelligence. Mm-hmm. But the other thing about being a man that was good for me and some of the women who have read the book, I don't come thinking I know these women's experience. Mm-hmm. I came, and that's why I say about the book, it's my book in a way for sure, but it's the book of these 17 women. And it was my job to tell their stories as clearly, objectively, truthfully, lovingly, lovingly meaning to be a, a good witness, not lovingly meaning be sweet, but to, but to really witness what was going on. It was my job to tell their stories. It was my job to tell an inside story, a psychological story. The outside story, we, some people would know, these are people who look at me in certain ways. This is what sexism is. This is what objectification of women is. That's very important. Mm-hmm. My hope was to say, through my particular set of skills, can I tell, can I tell the story of what's happening inside? Can I show what's, what happens inside the woman? What leads her to reach out for a certain kind of food? What, what she, leads her to try a diet program and push it away mm-hmm. internally? That's where I feel like I have a unique gift and practice to say, I think I can go inside there Mm -hmm. because I trust so deeply people. Can I tell a a quick story? Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm thinking of, I think it's the first story in the book. I'm thinking of it because of the trusting a woman's pushing away of a diet program. So this woman says, I want to lose weight. My mother was heavy. My grandmother was heavy and tells the story, health issues, et cetera, that have been intergenerational. I said, how do you diet? She says, well, I plan to eat less things and drink more water and have more salads and various things. And I said, and what happens? She says, as soon, listen to it, I love this. As soon as I decide to go on a diet, I go buy and eat chocolate. Mm -hmm. And she laughs. And I said, what's so funny? She says, I don't even like chocolate. <laughs> yeah. Now, to me, someone, someone might think that's crazy. That's nuts. That's, yeah. You're sabotaging yourself. Why would you ever do that? That's illogical. All the things that a culture that's not looking at the inside story, if I were a conventional diet program, I'd say, well, let's figure out how, to have, how do you eat less chocolate. Maybe you shouldn't have it in the house. Maybe you can have one bite. Let's manage the calories. But... My viewpoint, Anne, is to say, fascinating, something intelligent, I'm putting quotes on that, says, put me on a diet program, and my intelligence says, eat something I don't even want. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What could be intelligent about that? I have to find out. So I say, let's have a role play. I'm going to be the diet program. You should eat salad. You should drink more water, et cetera. And you're going to be the person who says, I'm going to eat chocolate. Why do I start there? Because that's where she is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I start trusting her exactly. I'm not trying to get her over anything. I'm trying to think brilliant intelligence. I have no idea what that means. She doesn't know what it means. She thinks she's making a mistake. Mm -hmm. I said, you should have more salad. I said, now I want you to be the one who says, I'll eat chocolate. I'll eat chocolate. Chocolate is stupid. I don't care. 
this is what's really in her, right? Otherwise, yeah. she wouldn't be eating chocolate. Well, can't you drink more water? No. Can't you have a little bit less chocolate? No. Now, she's smiling. I'm smiling. Why? Because she's free in this dialogue to be who she is. I'm going to have chocolate. She says, I say something. She says, no. I said, why are you so happy saying no to me? Everything I say, you say no. Everything I say, I'm offering you good things. This will be healthy. This will help your knees. This is going to help your body. You're not going to be like your grandmother. I have great reasons. Yeah. I'm saying like, yeah. and she says, I never get to say no to anybody. Now, that was not my psychological theory. Yeah. I'm like, wow. You're creating a space where you should do something and you get to say no. You're, you're doing no yoga. Yeah. You're practicing no. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about no. Where else do you want to say no? Where can't you say no? Let's celebrate no. Because if I want to, if I have an intention to help her lose weight, which I don't have that intention, unless, unless she says, please help me with that. I just think, I don't know if she should lose weight or not. Right. That's up to her. Not, I don't have a vision. That's a good thing or a bad thing. That's up to her. What I do know is if I'm going to help her with that. I better work on no. And her diet strategy, listening to my passion, my voice, I get so passionate about it. The diet strategy better have a lot of her practicing, empowering her to say no in her life because that's what she's practicing. Mm -hmm. And if you say, well, great, so just have her say no to places and make she should say no more often. Then she can diet. Okay, and how easy it is for you to just say, just say no whenever you want, no matter what, you know? Right. That's a development over time mm -hmm. that has risks involved. She could lose her job. She was a single mom. Yeah. I get so, I feel, I'm just feeling this like part of me as I'm speaking here. It's like, ugh, it's like an urge in my voice. It's almost like I'm up against something that I, a wall I want to break through. I'm just hearing that in my own yeah. voice. And the wall is something like, it's reasonable, it's logical. These problems have obvious answers. Eating and exercise, that I don't make so much of it. And a part of me wants to scream and, you don't understand. Mm -hmm. There's a real inside story. Not only will it be ineffective if you don't learn that inside story, not only will you build more hatred for the person because they're not going to go along with it. Her chocolate's going to win out. Mm -hmm. against me and all the other reasons she's been doing this for 20 years. Mm -hmm. But it's hurtful to the person. It's hurtful to the culture. It's hurtful to the social issue of the waking up of the internalized active activism. I just, I don't even know how to say it strongly enough, how important it feels to break down the normal way of thinking. Things. I, I think it's not honoring the whole person. It's not honoring her story. It's also continuing to feed what what neither of us or none of us want the us women in the story and you as an advocate um, want to be feeding right like I I very much hear the inner rebellion in my own experience of this like like why this woman these women don't need why do they have to lose weight for who to, to for to please the patriarchy to make them yeah. supposedly lovable or attractive like that's total BS so like I get angry with you probably even more. Uh, yeah. you know, you're still, even your passion is gentle, but, but like, mm -hmm. I, 
I mean, I like wrote it in my whole thing. Like I, what I, part of me feels exactly like you do. Like I, we all know it's, it's diet and exercise to physically, you know, adjust the calories in the body. But we also probably have both know people you've had clients. I have friends and loved ones and yoga students and stuff who've, who quote unquote, do so many of the things right, but still something isn't giving in their bodies because of exactly what you're talking about, that essential intelligence. And I have always felt that and believe that whether that presents in extra weight or um, an obsession on smallness or tightness in the body. I can see it in people's energies and the way they move. Um, and I agree with you wholeheartedly that there are stories to tell uh, underneath that. There's information in that. And it sounds to me like what I was listening to you is like you, I call myself insatiably curious and I think you have a very Mm. similar uh, uh, desire about people. But like, like it sounds to me that you just sat one as a compassionate witness, a loving witness of, Mm -hmm. you know, which is such a great thing that we all are learning for ourselves and you you heard that to them to be that compassionate witness so they could explore but you're in this like investigator like really going what's under it's not about food for these for people it's not about exercise I mean I remember reading one of the cases in stories you shared about the woman who had the hamburger exactly how she wanted it and realized she didn't (laughs) even care about the hamburger anymore I'm like that was totally me as soon as I took off an away restriction I no longer mm-hmm. needed to binge. If I could have whatever I wanted, I, I didn't need <clears throat> anymore. But I went through a long time of having to work through that and trying to discover what mm-hmm. that was about. And I'm maybe not even still sure, sure, you know? That's gorgeous. I think... Um, mm-hmm. I, 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 yeah. What you, you wrote in, at some point about self-doubt... Um, wait, a society mm-hmm. that profits on self-doubt, liking yourself is a rebellious act. And... Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I love that. That's like at the heart of um, who I am too. And I mm-hmm. think what you're helped all these women see and what I aspire to do the same and which is why I've been afraid of talking about weight and body is mm-hmm. I want you to, you know, rebelliously love yourself exactly as you are. And if you decide you'd mm-hmm. feel more comfortable in a different shape, differently shaped body, cool, I'll support you in that. But like, I want to do what you are doing too. What you're saying is like, just like, can we just love people where they are and figure out what's really going on. Like we all deserve that witness mm-hmm. and that healing and that freedom, really, yeah. right? It's freedom. Yes. It's freedom. And I love you're talking about rebelliousness mm-hmm. and you use the phrase, um, you said, Oh, how we're supposed to be or something. Then you said, and who's, who's saying that to us or whose yeah. opinion is that this goes to that issue of, of internalized sexism Who's looking at me when I look in that mirror is a very important piece. One of the four main pieces that I've learned about There's many pieces, but if there's four pieces, that would be one of the legs of the four legged stool. How do I look at myself? Who's looking at me? I, I worked with one woman and she said, yeah, I really don't like the way I look. And I would like to lose weight. I'm not remembering her exact word. That was basically the message that she gave me. And I said, what don't you like about yourself? Well, I'm too heavy here and too loose and flabby here. And I said, imagine I'm you and you could criticize me, critique me, tell me how my feet should look, my nose should look, my hair should look, tell me, go for it. Right. So she starts off more tame 
oh, you could look more like, maybe, you know, the brown doesn't look the best on you. Maybe we should put the blue thing on. Stripes don't look so good going across. Maybe you should put them down. It doesn't, it doesn't show off the, your size. People have all those kind of things, right? Mm-hmm. So, and so I said, please criticize me. Now, why am I doing that? I'm wanting to know what her inside story mm-hmm. is. I really, these glasses are not really so good for me, and that's interesting. But what's going on inside? And what's the process? What's going, how do I help a person with that, mm-hmm. the compassionate witness? And she, so she starts criticizing me, and I can tell she's getting into it. I said, really, go for it. And she starts saying, I, I don't even want to say these words out loud because I don't want to trigger people. She starts saying, you fat piece of da-da-da-da, no one's going to ever love you. And she's going off like vicious. It's not just like, hey, you know, maybe you should wear the striped shirts going downward. Mm-hmm. It's violent. I mean, even even the, I, even I don't want to say the words because I don't want people to hear them, but people yes. know what they are. Yeah. But when I heard the words, no one will ever love you, and in the vicious she said it, I went into a trance. I was like, I couldn't hear anymore. I had It triggered me so big. I was like, uh, she's still talking. And I'm thinking, can you imagine someone viciously saying to you, point blank, right into your being, I won't, and I'll say it, but I'm going to look away from you because I would never want anybody. No one will ever love you. You're like, that's like a curse. Right. <laughs> that's intense. So I'm like, oh, that's what she's up against. Mm-hmm. Then the way we proceeded was, the way I proceeded is to think, now what is she going to do with that? I can't make that go away. Yeah. I would want to say, don't think like that. That's right. not right. That's not really true. That's not going to stop a voice that virulent, that powerful, that empowered by family and and culture, yep. one David is not telling them don't think that way. One friend is saying that's not true. That's not going to interfere. That's like putting your hand up when someone beating someone with a baseball bat. Mm-hmm. Or ten people are. It makes no difference. So I said, okay, get into that. Now I'm going to criticize you. I'm going to use one of those criticisms. But before I do that, get ready. What do you mean, get ready? Feel in your body what it's going to be like. I haven't said anything yet, just like I did that touch exercise. Yeah. I don't want to say anything yet because I don't want to say those words unless you have a defense system ready. Right. Otherwise, I'm just hurting you. Right? I don't want to say, so people are saying this to you because it's going to go right in. Yep. There's no defense. She says, okay. I said, are you ready? Yeah. I'm about to say it. What's happening to you? I'm starting to feel tense. Great. Can you please get more tense? Yeah. <laughs> Show me the tension in your hands. Okay. It's like this. Okay. Your hands are up. They look like tense hands. They look like nothing. Okay. Okay. Are you ready now? I'm getting close. Now, the reason why I'm doing that slow mo is, again, I don't want my words to go in. I want her to feel what it's like for her body intelligence, which says get tense and, rep- and repel mm-hmm. to be ready so that she has the experience inside of what it's like to hold those words off at least once in her life strongly. Then I'm going to say, okay, here it comes. You fat. And I'm going to stop. Right. Yeah. And she's already like, <laughs> and like, what's in you? She's like, and she's like screaming at me. I'm like, yes, she doesn't have to scream at anybody else, but she does need to hear the sound of her own voice and her own reaction. Cause otherwise inside it's an abuse scene. It's an internal abuse scene. Someone's knocking a person down and there's nobody saying, awful, terrible, I want to protect you. How hurt are you? Are you are you broken down? Can you not get up anymore? Nothing says that. It just keeps going. Mm-hmm. Like if you saw somebody getting bullied on the street and they were getting hit over and over and over and nobody said, stop. 
Are you bloody? Can you get up? Do you need the hospital? That's going on all the time. So many of the women showed me that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and that they had impulses in them to defend themselves or run away. Yeah. I want to just get away. How far would you go? Ah, Would you leave the room? Yeah. Would you leave the country? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Would you leave the planet? Yeah. Yeah. One woman said, I would leave the planet. Where would you go? I'd go, I'd follow a bird up into the trees. Say, go ahead. Which tree would you go into? Mm -hmm. Because I believe so deeply in that person's story. That person was a, had a lot of flight, not just running away, but a lot of capacities for soaring and shamanic capacities and then incredible things that I learned about people, mm-hmm. believing in them mm-hmm. as opposed to thinking, oh, we got to get you over this. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's like what's, so, what's missing for I've, or what I've, uh, I've been noticing and thinking about lot, lately is what's missing um, for so many people because of all of it, because the way the world works, I guess, um, is that um, deep trust of self, right? Which is what you're talking about um, in the essential intelligence. It's that I'm trusting that whatever your impulse is, it's leading me to a deeper understanding of your actual needs of protection or safety or flight or um, whatever, right? Like I trust that Mm -hmm. there's something there that is necessary for you to continue to survive what you've lived through so far. And what a beautiful thing to trust a woman to be able to speak her way into that deep truth. You know, I, I just, it's really fascinating and also, um, sad. I think that I, uh, some reason all of a sudden I just got like the image of like, you know, women in circle and, um, and sort of, you know, tribal or in our former lives where we had these like community spaces where we really held one another and people were allowed to move through these instead of, carrying them for decades and lifetimes yeah. and, and and then yeah. you know women have been taught because of patriarchy and all of that to be you wrote that somewhere else too this inherent competitiveness you know was it Keisha that was talking about you know oh, yeah. white women and um and and both both having hatred towards or not hate, hatred but conflict about wanting both wanting to be more like that and also then wanting deeply to love and embody who she was is how I read into that but yeah I guess what I'm I kind of lost myself there but for a second but this this being willing to really hold space and not fall into that competitiveness not fall victim to the patriarchy and give us permission to lean into what it is we're really craving and work to look underneath how to, so I guess yeah. I keep asking the same question, like other than, I mean, I love what you did cause it's the reason I have a podcast is that I think that in storytelling we can see ourselves and we can find people we relate to and stories that teach us about ourselves. So I think that's yes. really beautiful, but like, you know, aside from um, completely bucking all systems, which we're working on, I think as a nation right now, um, yeah, what can we do to support and help one another in this? Like what women who are both mm-hmm. craving to lose weight and then mad at themselves that they're craving to change their bodies. Like how does a, how does a person start mm-hmm. to really unpack this in a way? I guess, I don't know. Like how did you get, yeah. it's really maybe the deeper question. How did you get yeah. to this? Is this the Jungian way? I know you studied dreams. It seems like it sort of follows that nature. <clears throat> yeah. 
I said a lot. I'm thinking about your no, no, it's okay. It's okay. I'm, there's, there's so many things I could say in response. I want to try to feel into what would be most useful to people. Yeah. How do you? How does a person come to? I call it radically believe trust. Radically believe, not just trust, but the radical part is to radically believe in. It takes a radical belief to believe in something that doesn't look good to my ordinary eye. The chocolate doesn't look good to my ordinary eye. How do you believe in that? How do you trust, regain, remember, reconnect with a, a belief in one's natural intelligence when we think our na- what we organically do is wrong? Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't do the chocolate though, but it's no good. But I'm not exercising. I tell myself I'm going to exercise, but then I don't exercise. I know how to do that with each individual because I can believe in them to the point when they show up in this 17 stories. And I, mm-hmm. that could, if, if someone was here almost every single time within 15 minutes, people say it doesn't take a long time. Within 15 minutes, 20 minutes, they would start telling me things that they didn't know about what they were doing, why they were mm-hmm. abandoning their exercise program, not because they're lazy and they're undisciplined and they can never get it together. Right. But how do you, I love your question, how do you fundamentally change that? I mean, you're making me think of, there's so many techniques I can tell you. I can tell you four specific ones. But before I do that, do you know of something called It Gets Better Project? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some gay men, I don't know what it was, 10 years ago, 12, I can't remember, yeah. something like 10 years ago, a gay teen took their life as I remember it, mm-hmm. and these two gay men did a YouTube video. Yeah. And they said, here's our story. We went through this. We went through that. We lived in a place and in a home yeah. that was very unfriendly. I thought of not wanting to live. But it got better. I left that territory. I left that area that in the country. I left that family. I met people who I could love and could love me. Mm-hmm. It gets better. And then another person saw that and was like, I think I want to say something to the gay youth. Another person did that, and pretty soon, celebrity type peoples, you know, the Ellen DeGeneres and the Barack Obamas and yeah. and artists. And do you know how many videos there are now? No. Seventy thousand. Wow. Seventy thousand videos of people either telling their story. I'm an eleven year old girl. I used to hate myself. I still do, but not as much. She says in this one of the stories. I remember, yeah. I cried listening to her story. It was so gorgeous, and. And some people are just telling the stories and some people are reaching out with some kind of love. I got you. I got your back. Please don't hurt yourself. I'm here. I know what it's like to be you. Mm-hmm. So I am starting something called the Unchained Body. And beginning of next year, I will have a site where people can go and listen to stories mm-hmm. or put written or YouTube you know, video stories up there. Um, there are, I reached out only once so far on social media. 152 women said they wanted to be ambassadors for the project mm-hmm. to help put videos up, ask people. So it's going to take a few months for me to get it together, given so many things are on my plate. But I have some website people and things like that. So for the audience, if anybody's interested in, 
I'm calling it being an ambassador because yeah. somebody said use that word. That would mean telling a story or asking a couple of friends. Yeah. Would you be willing to put up a story and I'll frame those and give people prompts and there'll be videos up there that take people through exercises that I think are important around how do you believe in yourself and how do you look at food in new ways. That's not the specifics for your audience at the moment. But I, in my answer to that question lately is it needs something big. It needs a grassroots intervention that mm-hmm. builds on itself. Yeah. Anyway, so that's why that – I also just love that It Gets Better project. So I, Yeah, I do too. I mean, I'm, I I have a just, wife, so it's, it's relative yeah. to me um, and relevant, um, and I do yeah. remember it. Um, and and the, the interesting part is I feel the same way – the work that you're doing is very similar to what I say about myself and coming out. I was raised in a very in religious environment, um, and my mother, you know, was not uh, happy when I came out, to say the least. But I've always been very openly gay um, because I always felt like if I hide it, I'm giving you permission to shame me about it. I'm inherently and. Mm-hmm sort of mm-hmm. showing shame and giving you permission to, to oppress me mm-hmm. more. And wow. it's the same, you know, I think that radical authenticity, as I call it, is a spiritual <laughs> act, you know? It wow. is a, a deep <clears throat> trust and faith in that, that you are good and whole and worthy exactly as you are, as messy as you are, as broken, as whatever, wow. you know? And... Um, so wow. I love what you're doing because I think that everything that's happening right now around, oh God, all of it, Me Too, Racism, you know, the LGBTQ movement potentially fighting for our marriages again, like all of it is, is illuminating these shadows in these oppressive systems. And I agree with you. I think what you're doing is gorgeous because it's storytelling. It's seeing yourself in someone else. It's hearing... Mm-hmm. hearing that we don't we're not meant to do it alone and that together we can change this like mm. it's, it's in how we parent I feel like from like just listening to you I'm like all inspired but it's like in how we parent I have an eight-year-old daughter like it's in how I teach her about her body and what to how to reject <laughs> the oppression it's um in being willing to talk about our stories with one another, with our safe, trusted friends. I think of Brene Brown's work of, you know, shame can't survive the, the, the light. Right. And so mm-hmm. you sharing these beautiful stories that are so relatable, you mm-hmm. are collect, you are not only illuminating the shadow in these individual stories, but I mean, I took something from every single one that I found deeply relatable. Oh. And so mm. it's, you know, oh. it's, I'm both asking mm. you that question out of curiosity, but I also think the, that we agree to the answer, which is just doing what you're doing and what we're all trying to do here, you know? Talk yeah. About it. Yeah. Pulling that veil. I'm just, I first want to say, I'm just absorbing your words. I'm, I'm, I really am. Radical authenticity and your passion and your path and, and your mother and your coming out and what that meant for you and your spiritual view of authenticity is a part of me doesn't want to think about anything else now, but I, but I can, but, but I just wanted to say, I'm just like, Oh, that's like, I just felt like a wave of something. I wanted to immerse myself in your, what you were bringing forward and, and to hear you and to learn from you. Thank you for saying those things. I'll go back to the topic. I just wanted to, no, that's no, yeah. Yeah, it's great to be in dialogue in those ways. 
Yeah. Yeah, moving away from the quick fixes. I mean, I guess you're so interesting to hear because some time ago, I want to say a year ago, maybe it was three years ago, if you said, what can we do about that? I would have said, I learned four things from women. And I did, and I can name them. Yeah. You know, I'll name them real quick. What you eat has hunger in it. Mm-hmm. And you can learn about that hunger, but you first have to not say, I shouldn't eat it. Mm-hmm. Now, there are ways of doing that. Yeah. <laughs> that, I, that would take a little longer to explain. But your hungers for food have other hungers built into them. Yes. And it's not obvious what they are. And some people would say, well, it's for comfort. Oh, everyone is hungry for love. It's not so simple. Some people are hungry for freedom. Some people are hungry for power. Some people are hungry for tenderness. Some people are hungry for impact. Some people are hungry for ecstasy. Yeah. So it's not, it's as individual as individuals are. Mm-hmm. But, but inside, but to de-shame the food, I want to eat a chip. I want a pizza. No, it's really chocolate and coffee mixture. No, it's really Doritos. No, it's really pasta. No, it's really bread with melted butter. These are different. <laughs> these are people stories I can yeah, think of. Yeah. Each one of those has a taste in it that a person's looking for in their life. So that would be one of the four. The second is you dealing with internalized oppression, mm-hmm. inner criticism. Bringing that out in the open. This is what it's really going on inside my head. Mm-hmm. David, you're talking too much. It's 8-11. Why? How come you're not focusing? That's going on in my head. Yeah. If, I, if you said go ahead, I would tell you much more of those kind of criticisms. They're always going on. Sure. We all have that. They're not as impactful because I'm used. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I'm screwing up. Okay, got it. I can go on. But knowing that's going on because if abuse scene is going on and it's not witnessed and nobody's saying, I see what's happening. Then people walk around saying, I'm down and I feel shitty and my esteem is low. And they're not saying, I'm getting beaten the shit out of inside of myself all day long. Mm-hmm. That's a very different statement. Mm-hmm. If your daughter comes home and says, I don't feel good about myself, that's very different than if she comes home and says, I got beat up today. Yeah. That's a very different, those are very different actions you're about to take. Yeah. <laughs> right? One is more, probably more an embrace and the other is, who did it? We're going to go to the school. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever it is, I'm going to go to the teacher. We're going to talk to the principal. We're going to teach right. you how to pretend something like that. That's going on. It gives me the chills. It goes on inside. So dealing, learning that that's going on inside and having a witness that sees violence for what it is. Mm-hmm. Inner abuse almost all the time. That's the second thing. The third thing is knowing your early story. The first time you remember, I have a body and I don't only like it. Mm-hmm. If that was yesterday, fine. But if that was six on the playground, or if that was your mother saying, maybe you should wear something different today, or that was you looking in the mirror and kind of going, ooh, I, I should be more this and less this, yep. those early memories have a patterning in them that play out. It's almost like that's the play. That's the stage. Yeah. That same dynamic in different words is going to happen. Knowing that story, believing that that happened, just like any other abuse story, like a Me Too story, this is my story. This is what happened. Believing that story and getting witnesses for that story mm-hmm. uh, is really important. And then the fourth thing, I didn't think I was going to do this, but then the fourth thing is, what about my body am I so against? Mm-hmm. What am I so unhappy with, hateful of, ashamed of, disliking? Yep. Specifically looking at those areas of your body for their unique 
intelligence. Now people could say, what the, what's unique intelligence about my big round belly? I'll, I can tell you a story about that um, from the book. But years ago, I would have spent much more time telling you more about those. But now I think the stories themselves have a magic in them. Mm-hmm. That's what I've learned. I've, this, I think like I had 60 women review the book, read it and see what happens to them. That's what I, tell me whatever happens for you. Mm-hmm. And so many women said what you said. Oh, I was like this person. Oh, that one was like me. That was like me. I was a little bit like that. Oh, that mother. That and even if a person doesn't understand my psychological theory, but feels like, oh, I'm like that. I eat hamburgers like that. Yep. I wish I could say no more. Yeah. That has a, you know, it has a medicine yeah. to it that's really special. So I think as my own development goes, I'm less married to my theories and ideas. They're less theories, more of this is the accumulation of my experience that I've learned. So it's less, yeah. this is my psychologist, more like this is what I learned from, from hundreds of women that I've worked with that I try to show. So it's not like a theory. It's really, this is what people have shown me. I can tell you, I got those four things happen because not because I had a theory that I then laid on. It was like, this is what women are showing me over time. These are the things that these are pivotal points. Yeah. Um, but the sharing of stories, let me tell you the first time I didn't like my body. I was 11 years old. I wanted to do this. I put this on or I didn't put this on when I went to school because I wanted people to look at me in a certain way. I call them gorgeous stories, but you know what I mean? They're beautiful. They're realness. Yeah. Um, I, I, I love, I actually love your four points. So I'm glad you've shared them. And it made me think of a couple things that, um, I think we've come to very similar observations of the world. Um, uh, because Mm -hmm. I relate to so much of what you're saying, but, um, I often, when you were talking about what are you hungry for, as far as like specific food, I think what's interesting to me is the food tells a story, but to me it was more like, um, what do you consume? Because maybe it isn't food. Sometimes it's not consuming. Sometimes it's, um, shopping. Sometimes it's social media. Sometimes it's, um, reality TV, but like they, they all hold intelligent information too about who you are and your body and your psyche, right? And so, and I personally know in my own experience, there were many times in my life where I would trade consumption of food for consumption of something else. Um, And it was still trying to fill the the hunger that wasn't being answered, right? I love that question of what are you hungry for? Yeah. And then you have to, then you have to hold that. I have to, whatever. We have have to hold that question in a sacred way. And by sacred Mm -hmm. means with your, the curiosity that you brought up before, not with, let me figure out what that is. And in my mind is I'm going to figure out what that is so that I can get you to stop doing that. The psyche, the body knows that intent. If I'm working with you to find that out, because you know that we're, cause, and you know, and maybe you even agreed that we're doing that to figure that out so that we can get you to not do that. Yeah. So that we can get you to not do that. Something inside of us already knows they're not on my side. Yeah. The hunger needs us to be an ally, not forever. Go eat that no matter what. Go mm-hmm. buy things on Amazon no matter what. But the hunger needs an ally that says, I'm not going to be against you at all. It has to be genuine. You can't yeah. fake that. And the way I get to the genuineness of it is I'm so damn interested <laughs> and fascinated. That's why I'm not against our chocolate, even kind of. Yeah. I'm like, 
passionately excited about learning about what she's doing. So I think, wow, a freedom song. I'm, uh, so I'm hearing something glorious in that. Now, maybe that will help her understand that. But then we have to approach that. Tell me about it. You started mentioning the hamburger story. You're making me think of that. I'm, one, I'm hungry for dinner, too. I, I think what you're saying is... Um is absolutely, I have also felt not only around hunger and consumption, but for me as somebody who suffered from anxiety and depression quite debilitatingly, um, I oh. now, in my retrospective view, realized how often that anxiety and depression, just like my hunger or my binging or my body obsession or whatever it was, was just trying to tell me something and I wasn't yes. necessarily listening or able to yeah. listen. And That's and I think it's all, it's all what that kind of conversation around um, mm-hmm. leaning into self-study and compassionate witness and why those practices are having, and if we can't do it for ourselves, finding someone mm-hmm. like you or trusted mm-hmm. friends who can mm-hmm. offer us that same loving space to yes. explore what it's really about, you know, um, because it, mm-hmm. it's all teaching us something yeah. And then will set us, and I, I have to, I have to speak to what um, yeah. you wrote about shamanism. You know, you wrote yeah. about the South African, uh, South American shamans, um, in reference to um, uh, uh, one of your clients' abusers or crappy parents. You know, and that it's counterintuitive to see that abuser as an ally. And this is one of these concepts I'm so fascinated with from like a soul uh-huh. perspective. But I, I see that I see the world the same way that 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 person, that disease, that challenge is holding medicine. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's what my friend Lori and I often talk about, the hero's journey, and that you're like, you're reclaiming yourself, your power, some gift mm-hmm. through that. Yes. And yeah. it's like, that's what your work is doing for people and what you're, you know, what we're mm-hmm. so passionate about is that held within your craving for whatever, peanut butter, shakes you know is mm-hmm. really some mm-hmm. deeply underneath that is really a part of yourself that's asking to like come home you know yeah and it doesn't it doesn't need i used to say to people it's really easy to find these things out and my partner who's also a process worker like i am done the same kind of psychology she said david stop telling people it's easy it's really not easy and i thought okay, I guess there's skills I've developed over 20-something years. Mm-hmm. But then I thought, what do I mean by easy? It's a paradigm shift that then changes everything. Mm-hmm. As soon as I say to you, tell me more about peanut butter shakes, I'm kind of, what's, what is so yummy about them? As soon as I shift from an agenda mm-hmm. about your shakes, a judgment, an agenda, I want to get yeah. you somewhere, to genuine curiosity, like you say. Genuine means, tell me about the shakes. Mm-hmm. Well, they're this. Why the pe- what's the peanut butter ad? If I were just like a child, mm-hmm. why chocolate? Can it be vanilla and peanut butter? No. How come? Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> is, it, is all the nuts out of it or is it just creamy? Right. What's the ratio, roughly? When you put it in your mouth, what happens? Yeah. Like, what is, how is it different from water? Like, those seem like very fundamental questions, but they're almost never asked. Mm-hmm. Oh, you were depressed? What's your depression like? Almost no one asks those questions. They right. think I already know. 
But there's, people could answer, I know, and you know. People could say a lot of different things. Some people could say, I just want to collapse. Some people would say, I feel like there's a weight on top of my head. Some people would say, like, I just want to sleep all day. Some people would say, I keep on thinking of these painful stories. There's so, there's, these words are stand-ins. Mm-hmm. Unless we say, I'm interested. Oh, you're a cigarette smoker? Tell me what it's like. I said to a cigarette smoker, I'm just thinking of a particular woman, I said, I gave her a pen and I put a pen in my hand. I said, can you teach me how to smoke the way you smoke? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not giving her a cigarette. I'm not interested in helping her smoke more cigarettes. But I, and she had a, a mother who died of cancer and she's smoking. Great reasons to stop. But first I have to know what she's doing. Yeah. What she's smoking cigarettes. But I don't know what she's up to, what she's seeking, what she's needing. Yeah, so we on. take, so we smoke with pens. <laughs> I do that. I don't want to go through the whole story. You do this until I feel like I'm getting, and she says, wow, you really understand me deeper than I knew myself. When we're there, it's like, oh, wow, I think we're most of the way home at that point. She's like, wow, I I get it. I get what I'm doing. And and David gets what she's doing. Mm -hmm. We're like, oh, so that's what you're looking for. Okay, now we can talk about what you're going to do about the cigarette smoking. Yeah, just like we could with the chocolate, et cetera. Yeah, because you're getting that, it's it's the mm-hmm. it's the whole thing about um, band-aiding the symptoms, you know, weight or smoking or overconsumption of anything or obsession or whatever. That is a symptom of some other unanswered hunger or need. Yeah. Right or What's... unhealed space or. Right. Now I'm thinking, going back to that hamburger story, I ask, one of the questions I ask people, um, what's the food that you would love to eat if you were free? Mm-hmm. If you could take off all the restraint, mm-hmm. and there's many different ones, but maybe it's, but it's carbs. Which carb would it be? The reason why I'm asking which is because I want to get close to a specific experience. Carbs is not an experience. Mm-hmm. But pasta with butter and, and basil on it, that's an experience, right? Mm-hmm. And I want people to have the experience because I want to know what is going on for them. Mm-hmm. So, so I asked people for specifics, and this woman said hamburgers were her food of choice. She if she could have a drug; it would be hamburgers. Yeah. And and she said she tries not to eat hamburgers, and there. And then she goes to the cafeteria. She worked at a corporation, and then she tries to have the burger alone without the bun without the cheese without the mayo and the ketchup without all the goodies on it and then what happens after work she's still hungry for a hamburger right and she goes out somewhere to a fast food place and she gets quote-unquote a real hamburger yeah now what's a real hamburger what is she really hungry for and then she's i said i'm gonna be your diet program what does that mean i'm gonna be a person who says can't you go without the bun can't you go without the cheese because that's what she's saying to herself Mm -hmm. right Mm mm-hmm and I want you to win. It's like the chocolate thing. I want you to win a fight with me. Yeah. Win meaning insist on the burger that you want because that's what's happening. And how do I learn about her? If I try to defeat her, like some, I'm a coach, I'm going to get you not to eat the, the, the hamburgers. I'm going to try to defeat her interest. Yeah. I should know that her interest is super strong, that she's worked for years trying to defeat it, and it wins. Mm-hmm. Okay, win. Yeah. Let's see what you're winning, right? I don't, because I don't know. Otherwise, I'm just having my own agenda. 
mixed in with other things like sexism that'll be be complicit with. So she's, I said, can't you go without the bun? She says, you need the bun. The bun makes a perfect round sandwich and the round sandwich has a perfection to it. And she's glowing, right? Like you're smiling. It's like, can't you go without the cheese? Mm-hmm. It's not a hamburger without the cheese, she says. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now I think we're getting close. Why? Because she's speaking from what's true for her. Right. Can't you go without the mayonnaise? Well, the mayonnaise and the ketchup mix together and they make a special sauce and a flavor. And without the mayonnaise and the ketchup, it's like, the whole thing doesn't work, right? right? And I'm going on. Can't you go without this? And she's going on and fighting for each thing. And I said, can't you give up anything? Mm. It's like the no person. She says, I never get what I, everything I want. Yeah. Right? What do you want? Well, recently we painted the living room in my home and I was married to a man. He said... I wanted white with a pink tinge. I can't remember when I wanted white with a more brown tinge. I can't remember what the difference was. Just a slight little thing. I said, oh, you would have wanted the white with the brown. She said, yes. I said, well, here's the beginning of your diet program. Go tell your husband you need to repaint that wall. Yeah. Now, who's going to think that's a diet program? Yeah. But, it, but hopefully to some, many people, it'll be obvious how it is. Mm-hmm. Practice getting what you want and not giving up exactly what you want that's different from the no person she's doing no this person is saying i need it this way and i need it that way can you give it to me this way i need this no i need you to rub my back stronger no softer no press here that's she's going to become a connoisseur of what she wants and needs to be Mm -hmm. the big thing that she wanted was to go back to school she stopped going to college when she had children Mm -hmm. so that was a big part of her program was to go back to college. Right. Because it's... Who would think? Right. Right. Well, but she's hungry to do it. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm just mm-hmm. thinking it's, you know, mm-hmm. part, I think a piece of it, at least in my experience, is that the obsession with food and body kept me busy enough to not have to follow through with the bigger, scarier things that were closer to my heart. So I think oh, there was oh. a payoff huge for me on that. Um, and I, and I also just think that it's about really honoring exactly that, that it's never about the hamburger. It's not about the diet. It isn't about food and exercise, right? It's, yeah. it's about, you know, who you are underneath all of those things and what you really need, crave, and, and desire to be in your life. And Gorgeous. Your yeah. Gorgeous. And then we have to say to you at that point, can you tell me what's in your heart? Yeah. And you might say, I don't know. Yeah. I say, okay, then that's our next step. Right. Or I know, but I'm not willing to say it out loud to anybody. Yeah. Then I say, that's okay. You don't have to say it out loud, but let's see. Maybe that's a direction. Or you can say, I know what exactly what it is. I would change this. I would leave this person. I would do it. I would make this job change. I would yeah. make these sacrifices. And I'd say, are you ready? Prepared to do that? You say a little bit. I say, do a little bit. And keep a little bit of that food in there if you need it too while we're making that exchange. So I don't lay something on the system that says something's wrong with you, even for working through the food door and integrating that somehow. Yeah. Right? I'm emphasizing that. The relief of the shame. And now we know you shouldn't so you shouldn't be you should be able to do all those different things that you want that are in your heart and stop all the food eating instantly. Mm-hmm. Let's be a little human about this. Yeah. 
And the I've worked is, on certain things for 20 years. I'm still working on some of them. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Sure. And, and the truth is, um, being mm-hmm. in the size body you think you quote unquote should have doesn't, um, inherently free you or make you happy anyway. And I think yeah. what you're really teaching people is that it's beyond the food, that in spite of the food being the entry point and a deeper understanding that it's ultimately beyond, far beyond the hamburger or the food. You're inviting yeah. people back into them to knowing themselves and advocating Beautiful. for themselves, right? And advocating for themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm. And beautiful. It's delightful to meet you too, you by too. the way. You too. I'm, I'm really appreciating getting to see you and hear you. And yeah. Videos nice like that. Your- yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm thrilled about your product. I think the unshamed body, I think that sounds beautiful. I'd love to be a part of that too. And I'd love mm-hmm. to post whatever, and I can update, you know, as that project goes, I can update the show notes and share on my platforms and help you with that. Cause I think that's so important. Oh, I'd appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. Any last yeah. thoughts before we wrap up here? Thank you for spending so much time mm. with us and sharing your beautiful insight. No, I'm the thing that's going on inside of my mind and body that's highlighting for me talking to you is the story. It's so obvious because I made a book of 17 women's stories, yeah. but somehow you've highlighted that for me. I had a little mental note. Remember that the ideas are really good, but the stories are medicine. Ideas are great, and giving people tools are great. I'm really into that. Yeah, and, I am too. I think but the both. stories have a medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's both. Thanks. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, I, no, really, I'm gonna I'm gonna punctuate that for you. It is both. I want to know both. I want I want to see these stories, and then I do want your four tools because those tools were beautiful. They weren't like, you know, count your calories mm. and something so externalized. Um, you know, they were really about self-understanding and, and, um, yeah. mm. you know, I think we're handed, I just, you know, we're handed so many things that feel like tools that just feel like one more oppression, right? Like, and I can, yes. right. And that what you shared is beautiful. So mm-hmm. as I, my mom would say, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater there. I think it's, both. thank you for saying that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because if we go to the conventional, now I have another point. Because if we go to the conventional view, which is you, you should change the way you're doing things, and some people say, "But I really want to." That's really a good idea. Ninety-five percent of the people it doesn't work for yeah. says hundreds of studies. Yeah. So I just want to say that so I can do that. Go ahead, and if you can, Amen. I'm like, great. But the problem with those ideas is if my view of myself, I'm I'm putting myself into a woman's psyche now. If I, as a woman, am looking at myself in a certain way, and that way of looking at myself is fueling my strategies and energies and motivations. I'm fueled by body shame and self-hatred, not only health and wanting to be. I'm fueled by that. And then you say, let me help you lose weight. You are now an ally of that voice. You're on the side. You're like, it's as if you're saying to my psyche, you're a good person, you would never mean it, but to my psyche, you're saying, yeah, I more or less agree. Let's, let's work. Let's do that. Yeah. You're not knowing that. You're just a good, you're not you. You're just a good coach who's going to help me do that. Yes. But you're going along with a viewpoint that I haven't wrestled out, that I haven't built a defense system about, that I haven't come to believe in my hungers. I'm still shaming myself. 
more shame comes into the system, you become, that coach becomes an ally, complicit in internalized sexism in that particular case, Mm -hmm. and doesn't support the self-love that would fight that, that might find a a deeper and loving strategy, Um, and the odds are it won't work. And the person might feel like they failed yet again. And that cycle uh, is very painful. Anyway. Yeah, no, that one of my things that I say often in yoga, because people often will come into yoga as punishment Mm. of self. um, Yeah. And um, I always say you can't shame yourself into better behavior. Like it doesn't work that way. And that's so much of what you're talking about. Mm. And I, and I also think that these, these coaches, these people, um, while, while it probably well-intentioned are continuing exactly what you're saying, feeding this oppressive system that says white, skinny, and blonde is inherently better, which is half the freaking problem, you know? Yeah, or 90% of the freaking yeah. problem. Probably I was trying to be... <laughs> yeah. I was trying not to shame the white, skinny girls, but... Right, right, okay, okay, right, right, exactly. Right. It's not a problem being that way. It's yeah. A problem, yeah, right. yeah, it's a problem that it's we expect diverse. everyone or that we're, that we're selling some goal, you know, it's in the wellness and spiritual community all over the place, that, like, that, that you're somehow more evolved or better or happier because yeah. you present that way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for your incredible. Have you seen my book, the copy? Can I yeah, show you? Yeah, show everybody, please. You can't judge That's a book it. by its, uh, you can't, sorry, you can't judge a body by its cover and yeah. it will be released when? December 1, it will be, uh, you can get it, but people can pre-order the book. Okay. It's, it's available on Barnes and Nobles and Amazon and indie books and Target and wherever, awesome. wherever books are sold. Awesome. I don't know, a lot of different places, um, but you can order it. And um, if people do, when they contact me, I'll ask them to join in a little book celebration at some point. Awesome. Um, but um, so you can go to Amazon and find it. But people can also go to my website, which is davidbedrick.com. My name is like Bed and Rick, davidbedrick.com. And then you can find a page that would talk about the book and a video with somebody asking me questions about the book. Um, there are some of those floating around on in social media now. Um, and uh, I just got a um, review by Publishers Weekly, which is rare review. And they were, it was a really glowing review about celebrating the women's bodies, hearts and minds, it said. And, awesome. And they were, anyway, so I'm proud about that. That makes it more likely that booksellers, that's who reads Publishers Weekly, will get the book, but come to my website if you want, or go to Amazon, pre-order the book and let me know if you do. And, and we'll, I'll tell you about the Unshamed Body Project and you can find me there and say, I want to be part of that. That would be great. Yeah. And definitely follow David on Facebook because you have daily profound bits of wisdom that I think every day I'm giving you hearts and sometimes comments. So I just love everything you're sharing. It's so relevant and beautiful and helpful and it's good stuff. So I appreciate how you're showing up in the world Mm. and thank you for being here. Mm. Thank you and appreciate it. I'm clapping. (laughs) I get happy. (laughs) Perfect. All right. Thank you for making it all the way through. I hope you found that helpful. I hope you'll go follow David on Facebook and pre-order his book, Um, You Can't Judge a Body by Its Cover. He is full of profound wisdom on the daily, and I look forward to both being a part of his new project and um, 
watching it, getting involved. Thank you for showing up here in this space. I look forward to the next time that we're together. And I hope you continue to do what you can to free yourself, to free one another, that we can come together and light this world up. Have a good one.